This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 362. Thanks to the Richmond Marathon in Richmond, Virginia for sponsoring this episode. You can run through Virginia's capital on November 13th. They offer a half, a full, and an 8K. Sign up at richmondmarathon.org and register now to beat the September 16th price increase. Just go to richmondmarathon.org. This podcast is brought to you by UCAN. UCAN's patented ingredient, Super Starch, has the remarkable ability to provide a steady release of energy without spiking blood sugar levels. Fuel your next personal best with UCAN and save 20% on your order with code MTA Challenge. <laughs> Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we inspire and empower you to go the distance. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, I'll share what it was like to run a brutal mountain marathon in the Italian Alps and what I learned along the way. And in the quick tips segment, we feature a question about how many calories to consume on long run days versus lower mileage days. And don't forget, inside the Academy, as a member, you get access to all of our back podcast episodes going all the way back to 2010, plus our training plans designed by Coach Angie, courses, and more. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. Well, it is good to be back from my uh, big trip over to Italy to run this marathon. Looking forward to taking you on the journey via audio and telling you all about this race as we do one of our world-famous race recaps. Angie, I was calling these world-famous long before we even were traveling the world. <laughs> so who's laughing now, Angie? Hopefully both of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's something cool. I saw that a uh, five-year-old boy completed the Appalachian Trail from end to end, um, hiking it with his parents. That's uh, got to be some special form of child abuse right there. <laughs> yeah, the kid's name is Harvey Sutton, and his trail name was Little Man. And apparently they started when he was four, finished when he was five. It t- they did 2,100 miles in 209 days. Wow. And the kid was quoted in an NPR article afterwards saying, I would do it again because I like it so much. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what an adventure. Can you imagine like having to hike the entire Appalachian Trail before you even start kindergarten? Yeah, I wonder how much of it he walked uh, himself. I guess he's in five, he's too big to get carried. Yeah, so. he walked the entire thing. I know certain kids that would be complaining if their parents made him do that. I know certain 17-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about our kids. Wow, that's amazing. Well, before we jump into our race recap, we want to make some shout-outs to folks in the community doing awesome things. So Angie's going to do that. What do you got for us? Yeah, we got this amazing message from Tara. She says, I'm back at it finally. It's been six months after I had a craniotomy to remove part of a brain tumor. The doctor couldn't get it all without doing permanent damage to the pituitary gland. And after two months of struggles getting to a tolerable daily dose amount of chemo drugs, along with debilitating side effects. But my little dog got me back on the road running. Yes, running. I'm still having flare-ups with chemo side effects and will have another two to three months on these drugs, but I'm so very grateful to be on this side of the struggles. And I'm very thankful to be running again and for all the inspiration you have been. You all are amazing and inspiring. Keep on keeping on. Awesome. And uh, she posted that in our virtual runners group. Well, it's great to hear, Tara, that you're running again and hate to hear about the battles you've been going through, but, but hang in there. That's right. 
This note comes from Callie. She says, I freaking did it. Never in a million years did I think I could run 500 miles in a year, but I signed up. My longest run was 5.5 miles. So this was many, many days of two and three mile runs. I've now signed up for the 700 mile challenge and the thousand mile goal is for my 60th birthday in March. Thanks Angie and Trevor for coming up with ways to keep us all going. The 500 mile medal is gorgeous. Awesome. Happy to help with that. Let's keep it going. This email comes from Kelly in Maine. She says, hi, Angie and Trevor. I've been listening to your podcast since 2016 and I'm always inspired. You guys have gotten me through 12 half marathons and two full marathons. Like everyone, my racing was put on hold when the pandemic hit. I did a number of virtual races, including the MTA social distancing run and the Corona Lisa 100 mile challenge. I also used the time to work on speed drills and hill work and all of my training paid off. Today, I completed the Blueberry Cove half marathon in Tenants Harbor, Maine. Despite the extremely hilly course, I earned a 15 minute PR with a finishing time of one hour, 54 minutes and 37 seconds. And I finished third in my age group. I am a sub two hour half marathoner. Those are words that I never thought I'd be able to say. I credit a lot of my success from following the speed and hill workouts from the MTA member site. Thank you for everything. Awesome. Well, thank you for being a member, Kelly, and a longtime listener. Congrats on going sub two. I know it feels fantastic. And she went commandingly sub two. That's right. If you're going to go, you might as well go commandingly. (laughs) And this email comes from JP in New Jersey. He says, I'm a first-time marathoner in training and a bariatric weight loss surgical patient. I weighed 387 pounds only three and a half years ago. I've since lost close to 200 pounds with running being an integral part of my routine that got me there. Your podcast has provided valuable information in terms of nutrition, fueling, and most importantly, the mental aspects of this sport. When I started my weight loss journey, I was asked to write down a crazy goal that I'd want to achieve should I be successful. I wrote down, run the New York City Marathon, and I filed it away as just another dream. Well, on November 7th of this year, that dream will become a reality. What started as walking for 20 minutes on a cold February morning in 2018 turned into running to the stop sign, then to the end of the road, and then most recently a 15-mile training long run. I have no illusions of breaking any land speed records in New York City, but I've learned the journey is just as important as the destination. And I'm learning a lot about myself, my body, and my will to succeed with each training mile. Thank you again for all you do and will continue to do to educate and motivate. Well, congratulations, JP, on all you've accomplished so far. You're just turning your health and your life around. And we're so excited that your training is going well so far. And be sure and let us know how the New York City Marathon goes for you. We'll be cheering you along from afar. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. So Trevor, I know people are excited to hear about how your Sky Marathon went in Italy. So tell us what made you want to sign up for this event. When I posted some photos on Instagram, people were asking, where's the race recap? Well, here it is. (laughs) So I went and did the Sioux T-Roll Sky Marathon in Italy. Big thanks to Angie for watching the kids while I went over and did that. We're not always able to travel to marathons together these days, but... uh, I was able to get away for a trip to Europe. What's not to like about that? For two whole weeks. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I kind of squeezed in a lot. I actually flew into Venice and then stayed there a couple days. Amazing place. Rented a car and drove up to northern Italy in the Trentino Alto Adage region of Italy. 
up against the Alps. It's predominantly German-speaking, actually, because it used to belong to Austria until after World War One. So in German, it's Südtirol, which means South Tirol, because it was part of the Tirol region in Austria. So it was cool to practice some German while I was over there and, uh, of course, run a beautiful marathon in a beautiful place. So the race took place on uh, August 28th. It was my 18th marathon to date. It was my third marathon in the Alps, and it was definitely the most challenging. We climbed a total of 2,800 meters, or over 9,000 feet. Uh, It was just a constant climb up and down, mostly up. The race also has a 69K and 121K, which they didn't have this year for, I don't know why. And they also have a half, a trail half. But with all of the events combined, they call it the most extreme experience in the Alps. Wow, that's saying something. (laughs) (laughs) I know, especially because I can think of some pretty extreme experiences. Exactly. So tell us about the day, you know, the days leading up to the marathon. How were you feeling and what kind of preparations that you had to have going into the race? Well, my training was tough because we don't live at elevation. So I tried to get as much trail time as I could in, just going up and down on the trail. I think that might have helped my leg strength. Um, to get over there, you had to have a negative COVID test or proof of vaccination, which I had. I've been vaccinated, so I have my little card. In Europe, you can pretty much get everywhere if you have a green pass, which says that you've been vaccinated or have had a negative COVID test. And to get into museums, or even hotels and restaurants, you got to show your green pass. So in lieu of a green pass, my little COVID certificate from here in the U.S. worked, and most people didn't even check it. was able to do everything I wanted to do over there and even travel between countries because after the marathon, I went to Slovenia. It was only three hours drive to Lake Bled, Slovenia. Of course, you have to cross through Austria to get into that part of Slovenia. So uh, I was a little bit nervous about how difficult it would be to travel over there, but everything worked out well. And Interestingly, this might be a good time to go because there's not a lot of tourism compared to other times. Like Venice is maybe at 40%. Wow. Which is still a madhouse. (laughs) (laughs) And there's not a whole lot of Americans, which I'm sure Europe is quite relieved. (laughs) (laughs) Grateful for. (laughs) Now, there are places I went that people were telling me that I was the first American that they've met all summer. Well, that's interesting. So I know a lot of European marathons um, require you to have like a medical certification saying that you're able-bodied enough to run the marathon. Yes. Um, Was that the case with this one? For sure. Even like the Berlin Marathon wanted you to have that. I don't think it's ever been enforced. But for this one, since it was such an extreme mountain race, I think they were probably going to check it and they wanted us to email all that over. So I had to go get a checkup from the doctor and and I, I go and I explain what I have to do and I show them this this doctor attestation form and it's all in German and they're like, if you're going to Italy, why is this thing in German? So I had to explain. <laughs> I'm going to the German speaking part. So had a physical doctor, um, looked into my nose, looked into my ears, grabbed my balls and then pronounced me good to go. <laughs> well, that's a relief. Was there any special gear that they required you to carry for the this marathon? Yeah, that's another thing about all the races I've done in the Alps. They give you this list of gear that you're supposed to bring. And I never had anybody check to make sure I had everything, but they wanted me to bring a whistle, um, an emergency blanket, a map, gloves, long sleeves, a hat, and then all kinds of stuff. So I did bring a lot of that stuff. In fact, here is a soundbite from Race Morning at my hotel. I stayed at a beautiful hotel right there in Bozen, which is where the race took place. And by the way, there's names for everything in both German and Italian, so you might hear me use a combination in this recap. So it was in Bozen, or in the Italian, it's Bolzano, one of the largest cities, maybe the largest city 
in uh, Trentino Alto Adage, or Suti Roll. And in fact, the whole city is ringed by mountains. And it's quite intimidating because there's like cars going to the top of these mountains on windy roads. And I'm thinking, okay, we're running up there? Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> but here's a soundbite race morning, laying out my gear. For whom the bell tolls, it is 7 o'clock, 7 a.m. Got my gear. Okay, the bell finally stopped ringing. So I've got my compression socks. Oh, it started again. <laughs> the bell ringer had to take a break, rest his arms. Got my compression socks, my trekking poles, my pack, all kinds of little stuff in my pack that I'm bringing. My coat, of course, hat, sunglasses, phone. Should be good to go. So I know you mentioned to me briefly that you barely made it to the start line in time for the race. Tell us yeah. what transpired there. Well, the race started at 7.30. It was only about a five-minute drive, but there was no parking right there. You had to park up at this other lot, and then everyone said it's a 10-minute walk where the race started. So anyway, race morning comes, and my hotel doesn't start serving breakfast until seven and so i didn't have time to drink any coffee there's no coffee pot in my room it's a pretty small room so i'm like oh man i'm not going to start this marathon without having coffee yeah that could be a disaster <laughs> <laughs> so right at seven i went to the hotel restaurant had an espresso got in my car went and parked it was a much longer walk than uh, anticipated to the start line I, I had to end up running to get there oh no got there really quickly threw my check bag up to the the guys in the truck found a porta pot because after you have coffee, you kind of got to go. <laughs> yeah, important. Got to take care of that early on. And then get out of there, fumble to get my mask on, to get through a checkpoint to get into the starting area with literally one minute. It was <laughs> 7.29, and I was at the very back. Small race, only about 100 people anyway. Here's a soundbite from the starting line. So they're playing this song that's getting us all just pumped up, and it's an unusual song I've never heard at the beginning of a race, anything like it. It's from an old Western movie. In 1966, there was this movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, starring Clint Eastwood. But it was like this perfect song for, for getting us in the mood to do this epic quest, like this journey, this great journey we were going to embark on of self-discovery and also just grueling hour after hour of going up a mountain. Later, I googled and I figured out the song is called The Ecstasy of Gold, and it's written by Ennio Maricone, who is an Italian, and he just passed away last year at the age of 91. It's interesting that though the song is written by an Italian, it, it captures the spirit of the Wild West here in America, and it probably captures it better than any other song I've heard in a movie. So anyway, the song kept playing through my head <laughs> the entire day. Oh, wow. It was, it was a surreal race start. Nine. So the epic quest began and we left the town of Bozen and we started making our way toward a place called the Ritterhorn and for the first 5k we basically left the valley floor and started climbing switchbacks. And uh, just right from the beginning, I knew two things about this race. Number one, 
It's going to be very slow. Because <laughs> we're like walking. Like everybody in the back is walking the first kilometer. The race leaders are like running up this mountain. But <laughs> the rest of us mortals are just walking. With our trekking poles. The trekking poles came in handy. Uh-huh. You know, the whole race. And uh, number two, second thing I knew about this race right away after the first kilometer was it would be extremely beautiful because as we're climbing these switchbacks, we're looking back over the city of Bozen. The weather was amazing. The skies were clear. So you knew it was going to be a super challenging race. I mean, even before oh, yeah. standing in the starting line, just because of the elevation and... Yes. Um, the inclines that you're going to be facing. Did you have any goals for the race going into it? I had A, B, C, and D goals. Oh, lots of them. A goal is to not finish last. <laughs> B was to make it before the cutoff. Yes. C goal was to not break something. Like okay. a body part? A body part. <laughs> okay. And D was to not die. Well... I'm happy to say I accomplished all those goals. <laughs> oh, that's that's wonderful. <laughs> we won't leave people in suspense. <laughs> no. When I did the Jungfrau Marathon in Switzerland, which is my first race in the Alps, I, I dealt with a big change in elevation as well. But the majority of it was at the second half of the race because the first half you could run it. And the second half was just a death march going straight up. Well, this race, it just started off with a massive climb and then it never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was just power hiking pretty much the whole time. Yeah, this was my slowest marathon by far. I mean, after an hour, I'd only gone 5K. Wow. Okay. Just passed the 5K sign. Just kind of want to figure it. I'm going about 5K in an hour. Just opened up my first can bar. I'm not hungry. I just want to make sure I preemptively fuel. <clears throat> That's a good day to be out in nature. We'll check in with you later. And you can hear in this audio clip that I started in uh, preemptively fueling with uh, my UCAN snack bars right away. We definitely appreciate UCAN being a longtime sponsor of the podcast. I've now taken UCAN bars to marathons in Germany, Switzerland, Austria, the UK, and Italy. Not to mention dozens of races in the US, like half marathons, foals, and Spartan races. That's right. I've even given UCAN out to people. I, one marathon I did, a lady was like, I forgot my UCAN fuel. I said, well, I have an extra bar if you want one. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want to try them, go to uh, UCAN.co. Use the code MTA Challenge. You'll get 20% off because they also sponsor our virtual challenges. So use that code at UCAN.co. We love it because it's a slow-release carbohydrate source comes in a powder you can mix with water or bars they also have gels now so you can.co use the code mta challenge you'll get 20% off so it might be tough but the race is just breathtakingly beautiful everywhere i look it also helped that the weather was perfect if it was raining on us the whole time i probably would have not appreciated it <laughs> it was hard not to stop and take pictures like constantly but even in the toughest moment i look just look around and i would think this is the reason i'm here i've heard that as humans we have this innate longing for beauty C.S. Lewis wrote this in his book, Till We Have Faces. He says, The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty came from, my country, the place where I ought to have been born. I just ran through the most amazing mountain valley with these green fields and huge dolomite mountains jutting up toward the sky. And it reminded me why I come here. As long as the Alps are here, I will keep coming. That's all I know. You did get some amazing pictures, which we'll have to share on our blog and yeah. on social media as well. 
what were the aid stations like? I mean, did they have aid stations or were you required to carry all of your stuff with you? They were kind of few and far between. I, I went a pretty good ways before I came to any aid station. So having my own fuel with me, those UCAM bars was very handy. And you had a hydration pack that you were using? Yep. Had a hydration pack with one liter water bladder in it. Um, so as we're going along, we went from Bozen up to a little mountain village called Ritten. We kept climbing on hiking trails and gravel roads, and there were some sections that were uh, we were just running on the road, kind of to get from one trail to the next. But everything was well marked with paint and yellow flags, and I was pretty much alone the whole race. For most of the time, I had no one around me. The race website said, if you drop out of the race, it's your own responsibility to get yourself back. <laughs> <laughs> so you might as well finish. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't even know how I would do that, you know, from where I was. So actually, we were making our way up to the top of this mountain called the Rittnerhorn, and it's this high mountain plateau. It's accessible by gondola, and people ski up there. And once you get to the Rittnerhorn, you have this expansive 360-degree view of the Dolomites. There were lots of families, and they were out hiking and cavorting on the mountain. Looking for a way to use the word cavorting in a sense. (laughs) It was interesting to see people like all bundled up in jackets because it spit snow a little bit on us up there. And here I was in shorts and a t-shirt. So at this point, when we got to the Rittner Horn, I had climbed so much and my legs were so tired, but I wasn't even halfway done yet. Okay, way high up on the mountain pasture with amazing views. You can hear the cow bells walking by a bunch of cows. It feels like I've just been going uphill nonstop. (laughs) And uh, man, my legs are feeling it. Okay, wow. (laughs) Just past the 20K mark. Four and a half hours in. Still going uphill. Just passed by this beautiful little mountain guest house. Lots of hikers out today. What's cool is you can stop at these little guest houses and have a meal, get a drink, even stay if you want one night and keep hiking. Okay, this is so steep for so long. It feels like a cruel joke, but it's all good. Those bells there that you hear are actually uh, sheep grazing. Okay, I passed the half marathon point so leaving the aid station, got this amazing, gorgeous view on the Dolomites. Ein wunderschönes Ausblick auf den Dolomiten, kann man sehen. Picture rolling hills, ancient cattle fences built out of rock. It's got to be millions of rocks just stacked up tightly together. Free-range cows. And then in the distance, the Dolomites, which are famous for these bare-faced mountains that jut up like like spines through the Alps. It's all quiet, except for the sound of my own footsteps and my own breath. Some distant cowbells. Once in a while, someone on a bike goes by or pass a hiker. It's funny how warm everyone's dressed who's not running. People have coats on and they're all layered up. Here I am in shorts and a t-shirt. My core stayed really warm, but uh, my hands were cold, so I threw on some gloves that I brought, which, uh, it was a good choice, actually. Glad I brought them. Glad they told me to bring them. And I actually listened. So that's it for now. Got a nice downhill section, so I'm going to turn this off and start running. So at this point, I'm getting really worn down by the mountain. 
but I finally passed the halfway point. I got to a much needed aid station, filled up my hydration pack, which was just about empty, so the timing was perfect. And I was starting to feel like a little bit like an elevation headache coming on, which I was pretty worried about. That would really ruin your day fast, you know? So I tried to just keep sipping water and just nibbling on food. What they say is you don't want to guzzle water, you don't want to eat a bunch of food at one time and make all the blood you know, rush to your stomach away from your brain. The aid stations also had electrolyte sports drink, but they had a no cup policy, so you had to bring your own cup. Oh no. So I didn't have a cup. <laughs> like just pour it directly in my mouth, that's yeah. sanitary. <laughs> I was like, how do I get this goodness in me? <laughs> so on top of the Rittner horn at the aid station, I started to see some runners come up from behind and it was then that I began to care more and more about not finishing dead last, my, my A goal. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving the aid station, thankfully, there were some nice downhill sections, and I was able to do some actual running. Nice. So the next section of the course, we went from the Rittnerhorn to a place called Totenkirchel. That name actually means Chapel of the Dead. It comes from the word tot, which means to kill, and the word kirk which is church. So this is a little white chapel on top of a mountain at the altitude of 2,100 meters. And it's just a hut with like a a crucifix inside. It was hard to tell from the course map what to expect. There weren't actually mile markers or kilometer markers on the course map. It was just a huge blown up map, so not a lot of little detail. All I could see was that there are sections on the map that were color-coded, and the section I was going into was red, and then coming up on some sections that were black. The key on the map said that the red indicates a hiking incline, and the black indicates a difficult hiking incline. Ooh. <laughs> so I've been inclining all day, and now I get to the real incline, apparently, right? <laughs> right after the Chapel of the Dead, you're already feeling kind of <laughs> dead. Yeah. So I came upon this boulder field and went across that for a long ways. And then eventually to this massive ridge. I refer to it as a wall in this audio soundbite. And this is massive ridge and look at it from a distance. And I can see little specks on top where people were up there. And I thought to myself, how do I even get up this thing? Got closer to it though. And there were switchbacks going up. So this is after I am just so spent looking for relief, waiting for the, the uphills to end. And then what do I see? The biggest uphill section I have ever seen. <laughs> it's so steep, it doesn't even look possible to go up. So I I, uh, I go up, and at this point, a couple people have passed me, and I was always moving forward. I never, you know, stopped other than to take a picture. But people were also walking, and then they passed me. I was walking, they were walking, and they passed me, and I thought, okay, now I can see how slow I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I am walking, getting passed by other walkers. <laughs> okay. Whoever designed this course was a sadist, that's for sure. We've been going up, up through this uh, this rock field. Now I've got one more massive climb. I wish you could see this. It's like just a massive wall of rock and switchbacks all the way up. It's like being at the bottom of the Hoover Dam and looking up. <laughs> it looks even too steep to hike up, but uh, I see people up there, so it's 140. I've been out here going uphill since 7.30 this morning, so that's the situation. Catch you guys later. So I got to the top of the mountain and there were people stationed up there writing down our race numbers, kind of as a safety check. So proceeding from that point, I would have thought, okay, I'm at the top now. But 
As I get to the top of the ridge and I look up, what do I see? There's more incline. <laughs> I can't even see the top of this mountain yet. And the next little bit is so steep that there's cables to hold on to. Wow. It's the first time I've encountered that in a race. So I'm going up even more. I reach the absolute top. I'm up there above 7,000 feet. And I look around and it's like the clouds are just hanging maybe 10 feet above my head. Even I took a little video and some pictures and I'll, I'll post it on our website. And of course, I can see all the valleys below. And then it occurred to me, ah, this is why they call it the Sky Marathon. <laughs> That's right. You're up in the sky. Okay, that was gnarly. <laughs> Made it up the the wall, I called it. Don't think I hit the wall, but I made it up the wall. Passed about 28K. Got my picture taken by the race photographer. I probably look pretty rough. I am so up high, just up in the clouds. That's why they call it the Sky Marathon, I guess. It's just unbelievable how high up I am right now. And uh, after I got up that wall of rock, I had to keep going up, still going up. I can see right up over the top of this mountain, kind of cresting it right now. And I can see this massive wooden cross coming into view. That's pretty common in uh, the Alps to have these massive crosses on top of mountains that people can hike to. And then there's also lots of these uh, rock cairns. And of course, the little yellow course marker flags that I've been following for the last, I don't know, five hours. When we finally got to the Chapel of the Dead, they had a little aid station and the volunteer didn't speak hardly any English. It's just one guy manning this thing, but that's fine. We were able to get by in German. And then some more people caught up to me and this mother-daughter duo came up. Uh, they were running it together. Oh, cool. And uh, when I saw them, I asked if anyone was behind us. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, yeah, wir sind nicht die Listen. We're not the last. So I was happy to hear about that. Hello, dear podcast listeners. I've got about four or five miles to go. I dropped my glove back there somewhere. Didn't bother going to find it. Just got passed by uh, another person. He's an American stationed here in Italy. This is his second time doing this race. And uh, he says it sucks even worse the second time. <laughs> uh, the things people say when they're nearing the end of a marathon. Doing dealing with a lot of downhill now. It's I just got service for a short time on my phone. And I saw a text from Angie that said, How did your marathon go? She probably looked at her watch and like, figured oh he's got to be done by now there's no way he can still be out there yep i'm still out here but uh all systems are still online everything's working right and i believe i'll finish this race ciao so right at that moment in the race angie that's when you sent me the text how did the race go <laughs> <laughs> and i still have probably like two hours dagger to the heart <laughs> <laughs> so i kept marching along i came to the 40k sign they didn't have a lot of signs out there to tell you where you were i think there was 30k and there was 40k 
But I came upon the 40K sign, and even though we were going downhill now toward the little town in the valley, Sarantino, uh, I was dropping elevation, but the downhills were so steep and rocky that I really couldn't run, and my legs are so trashed. Taking my trekking poles to this race was a very wise decision. I almost did not bring him. Wow. That would have been dicey yeah. without him, probably. They saved my ass many times. <laughs> well, we need to take a quick break and thank our friends at the Richmond Marathon in Richmond, Virginia for sponsoring this episode. This race takes place November 13th. They also have a half marathon called the CarMax Richmond Half Marathon and the Leon's Partners 8K. They provide amazing course support. There's great fall scenery that time of year. Awesome finisher swag. You can run through scenic sections of Richmond, including the beautiful James River. And it's also a top 25 Boston qualifier. It's mostly flat, a little bit of rolling hills, but it's great for first timers. And best of all, there's a nice downhill finish right on the riverfront. The VCU Health Richmond Marathon organizers know the running community is resilient and that your desire to cross a finish line remains strong, and they've really proven their ability to create an experience that is tailor-made to fit the needs of all runners. You can be part of America's Friendliest Marathon by visiting richmondmarathon.org to register now, and be sure to beat the September 16th price increase to save money while you're at it. Just go to richmondmarathon.org, come discover the River City, and cross the finish line this November. So you're getting towards the end of this marathon. You've already had to fend off a text from me asking how it went, but you're still out there. How are you <laughs> feeling? What's your mindset? Yeah, I was out there. I, I had estimated that it would take me like eight and a half hours by the time I was going to get done. So that was pretty discouraging because I've never taken that long to do a marathon. I just kept moving forward one step at a time. I did feel like some some little pain in my, my left knee. I tried not to obsess about it. You don't want to vary your running form or favor that side because then you're just going to have other problems in your kinetic chain. I just got done reading this book called Organize Tomorrow Today by Dr. Jason Selk. And there's a chapter in the book called Learn to Talk to Yourself. And uh, it's probably my favorite chapter of the book. He actually opens up with a story about a, a woman trying to get through the final miles of a marathon. Oh, that's appropriate. <laughs> I know. So it's about using positive self-talk because this guy, Dr. Selk, he's a psychologist, but he also trains people in the in Major League Baseball and stuff with their, their mental aspect of their game. So in the book, he's talking about the power of positive self-talk. And as I'm in this marathon, I'm thinking, even though there might be things to obsess about, like how long it's taken me, how little aches and pains and twinges like my knee or whatever, just you, your mind can obsess about that and go down this rabbit hole. And he calls it PCT, problem-centric thought. So problem-centric thought could be a, a trap of when you're always focused on problems instead of focusing on what's going right. And then he says, whatever you focus on expands. So focus on what's, on what's going well and live into that and let that expand because the alternative leads to dark places. <laughs> yeah, that's great advice. So if your legs are tired or you're feeling aches or pains, think about, well, my nutrition is feeling really solid. And look at this amazing view. Exactly. Fresh air, amazing view. That's I'm right. still moving forward. <laughs> I've accomplished my, my D, C, and B goal so far. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so along the course, I try to visualize finishing the race with a smile on my face, coming back home, recording this podcast. I try to visualize the success I was going to experience. And I kept, you know, thinking about my identity. Like I'm a person who runs marathons in the mountains for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Not just for any reason, for fun. <laughs> I know. I can see it, the village of Sarantino. And it looks lovely. It's 4.42 in the afternoon. 
like even now I am making small steps going down this rocky decline there has been no easy kilometer no flat kilometer or even gradual for that matter but I knew what I was getting into and now I'm about to finish and that'll be a happy moment for sure but I'm just trying to enjoy every uh, every mile it's been a good day In the final kilometer, we ran by a castle, which is a nice bonus. Yeah. And then we went along a path down into town, and I must have looked delirious because people in the village kept pointing to me which way to go. (laughs) (laughs) And I I saw the finish line. I saw finally that blessed sight. I made my way to cross under this inflatable arch that they had. And as I was crossing, there were people standing around, they were cheering, and there was an announcer who was reading off names since it was just me crossing, he read off my name, nice and slow and loud. And he got to uh, what country I was from, and he said it like really dramatically. Like, this is Trevor Spencer from the United States of America. <laughs> like you're in the Olympics or something. <laughs> yeah. well, the tone was kind of like, why would you come all the way over here to do this? And then uh, with all the spectators standing around and there's this guy with a camera filming everything, he's like sticking his camera in my face. Then the race announcer starts asking me questions on mic. No way. (laughs) (laughs) So Trevor from America, what did you think about the Sky Marathon? Sticks the mic in my face. All I could think to say was, oh, it's so beautiful, but it was brutal, but it was really beautiful. Um, I think whoever designed the course is probably sadistic. So at that point, before I crossed the finish line, I, I thought because of my, my dumb marathon math that I probably was going to finish in eight and a half hours. Well, the clock said 9.37. My official time was nine hours, 37 minutes, and eight seconds. So the lesson here is never do math during a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> like, did I cross a time zone? <laughs> <laughs> it took me nine and a half hours. Well, when you texted me back to say that you had finished and how long it took you, I was still thinking maybe it was a typo. Like, what do you mean, six and a half hours? <laughs> Our son Gavin and I were like debating, like, it must have been a typo, you know? Yeah. Like, Gavin was like, oh, I could do it in less than six hours. He has this thing where he thinks he can do Anything. every sport better than yeah. anyone else. Yeah, we go to the, a zoo in Costa Rica and they talk about how strong sloths are. He's like, well, I could beat up a sloth. <laughs> full of 14 year old hubris yeah so i actually finished (laughs) the second to the last male out of 103 (laughs) and there were also three guys that dnf'd and i also finished in front of five women there were a total of 19 uh female finishers and uh there were zero dnf's among the ladies of course not (laughs) (laughs) well congratulations it sounds like an amazing brutal but beautiful race (laughs) Yeah, when I was out there doing it, I thought, okay, this is one I'll definitely not come back to do ever. Ever, ever, ever. And they're done that. (laughs) But now that I think about it and I look at the pictures and I think about the amazing journey that it took me on, I think, yeah, that that is something that I might do again. That wasn't so bad. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't so bad. No, but I I look forward to going back to uh, Italy another time. After the marathon, I uh, spent uh, another couple days in Sutirol, and then I went over to Slovenia. Since I'd never been to Slovenia, I went to a beautiful place called Lake Bled. Hiked around a lake, toured a castle. I actually ended up doing probably eight miles a day walking on the rest of my my trip. 
since I went over there by myself, I tried to pack in a lot of stuff that Angie and the kids wouldn't necessarily be excited about, like going to a lot of museums. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's really cool. Pretty much any major city you go to, there are free walking tours led by locals, two to two and a half hour walking tour. So I did one in Venice, actually did two walking tours in Venice, and I did one in Ljubljana, the capital of Slovenia. And now I'm back in the United States of America. <laughs> the hardest part of the trip was the flight back across the pond, leaving Venice. I had a direct flight to JFK, which was like nine hours, almost as long as my marathon. Wow. <laughs> I'd rather run a marathon than sit on a plane for nine hours. By the time we got to JFK, it's like three in the morning or four in the morning in Italy. And I, I didn't hardly sleep at all because I can't sleep on a plane really that well. And then I had two more flights. To get back to our small local airport. Yeah, to get back to Harrisburg. Well, thank you for listening to my race recap. I think if there's any takeaways from this, it could be to just enjoy every mile you're in. Or kilometer. And to watch out for problem-centric thinking, because whatever you focus on expands. So try to expand, you know, good thoughts, happy thoughts, thoughts that serve you better. Yes, that's a great thing to focus on, for sure. Well, now it's time for this episode's quick tip. We have a question sent in by Rebecca about how many calories to consume on long run days versus lower mileage days. She doesn't want to underfuel or overfuel. And we pitched this question over to our friend Angelo Poli at MetPro. He is a metabolism expert based in California. Uh, this company, MetPro, has helped lots of people in our audience. Angie was able to lose 30 pounds working with one of their nutrition coaches, and she was able to peak at her goal race and she did a 319 marathon at the age of 41 and uh, qualified for Boston by 20 minutes. In addition to helping runners, Angelo has experience working with athletes who need to cut weight or to gain weight to time their nutrition so they can peak at competition and he's also, as you're going to hear, helped uh, contestants who are going on reality TV shows. So lots of interesting stuff. But as a runner, it is important to know how to up adjust or down adjust based on your activity level, especially around long run days. So let's go ahead and jump into the quick tip right now. This question comes from Rebecca and she says, I have a question regarding fueling properly and metabolism regulation. I have trouble knowing how many calories to consume on long run days versus lower mileage days. Is it possible to damage your metabolism by under fueling or over fueling for your runs? How do we know if we're taking in too many calories as a runner? Okay. I can actually give you a fairly direct answer to that one. So first defining damage, your metabolism, it, it's not a factor of damage or, or not damage. It's simply a factor of whatever you eat, your metabolism will acclimate to. If you eat more, your metabolic rate will acclimate to more fuel. If you eat less, it will feel like your metabolism has been damaged. In reality, it's simply acclimating to less fuel. Uh, I once worked with a gal who was going on one of those survival show, reality TV shows and had to go 21 days without, I mean, she's eating bugs, right? So 21 days, oh, no. she was one of those people that she'd get a headache, she'd get hangry, she'd get, you know, and she's like, how am I going to do this, you know? So we slowly conditioned her. She was used to eating five or six times a day. We slowly conditioned her to just eating three times a day. Then as the show got a little closer, down to two times a day. And then before she left for the show, we had her just eating one big meal and one snack. We were conditioning her metabolism to be used to less fuel, longer periods of time between fuelings. So for most people, 
That's not a good thing for most people. For her, it was. She did great. They won the show. They did awesome. Wow. When you said that she was going on a reality show, uh, I was like, it's going to be Naked and Afraid. I know, that's what he's going to say. She was out there eating bugs on Naked and Afraid. That was the one. <laughs> was it? <laughs> <laughs> that was the one. Yep. That and a bunch of others. <laughs> that's funny. But uh, so you see how it's just a matter of strategy. Now, you see how I, I start, I get talking and I was just, so what was the question she's running? Give, re, read that one more time to me, if you would. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, she has trouble knowing how many calories to consume on long run days versus lower mileage days. And how do you know if you're taking in too many calories as a runner? If you're taking in too many calories, you're gaining weight. If you're taking in not enough calories, you might be losing weight. Now, here's the thing. Your body's pretty resilient in trying to maintain your weight even with not enough to perform. So what will happen is some people will lose weight, other people will simply run slower as their body finds a way to preserve energy. So careful on the downswing of that. You can underfuel really easily. But if you're overfueling, you'll know because you'll be storing it as body fat, you'll be gaining weight. So on your long run days, you do want to fuel with more. Now, I, we, we've discussed this a little bit before, uh, a good hierarchy of priorities when it comes to fueling. So for absolute beginners, day one, I just met you. I was going to coach you. The first thing that I'd be talking to you about is not training days, not off days. I'd be talking about do you have a consistent, reliable meal schedule for all days? That's the number one thing we want to have in place. You're eating at least at least four or five times a day, and that can scale up depending on your level, your athleticism, your, your background, so much more frequently if needed. Once we have that, then we're looking at intra-training fuel. So that's the easiest thing to scale. So you're getting extra carbohydrates. This is for longer runs. Uh, every hour that you're running past you know, call it about an hour or so. If you start going, you know, okay, you're doing two hours, three hours, four hours, you're going to definitely want some intra-training fuel to perform optimally. So that's automatically going to scale. Beyond that, what I do tend to see a little bit is a little bit of a mismatch. In fact, I had an endurance athlete just a few weeks ago who was calling me up for some counseling and he was eating under 150 grams of carbs during the week and over 600 grams on the weekend. Now, I know why. I know how he got there and just a little bit at a time. You know, oh, I don't need that if I'm not running and I'm trying to manage my weight. And oh, on the run days, I want to make sure I, have, I, I totally see how he got there. But it's not going to be efficient to have that much of a discrepancy. What I'd really like to see is an average across the board where most days you're getting about the same base fueling that simply ramps up a little as need be on your heavier training days. That is going to be the most consistent, the most predictable. You're going to have least amount of bounce having to do with hydration, intramuscular 
fuel, your, your glycogen stores, your sugar content, everything that's going to influence your performance when you run will be the most stable. So a base meal plan that's consistent, then fueling during your runs that ramps up, and then after that you can start talking about an extra serving of carbohydrates post-run or on long training days to bring those numbers up a little bit more on those days. What's your guide? Your guide's going to be either weight loss or poor performance or recovery is an indication you're not getting enough. Weight gain is the indication you're getting too much. And that's the one that I would encourage you don't be afraid of getting more, adding more if you're not gaining weight. It simply means your body is funneling that extra fuel into performance. You'll start gaining weight. You'll know when it's too much. The mistake people make is they confuse their digestive system with overall quantities of energy. Because if you eat too much in one sitting, your stomach's going to say, oh, too much fuel. That has nothing to do with your energetic system. That has to do with your gut. <laughs> Which is why the more advanced a runner or athlete, generally the more frequently they eat because they are able to, at that higher level of athletics, utilize more fuel. So they tend to eat more and more frequently so that way they also preserve their gut health. You've had the chance to work with a lot of interesting people, it sounds like. <laughs> I have. I've been very fortunate. It's been a lot of fun. You'd be surprised at just some of the interesting things people want to, yeah. want to train for. We were actually working with, uh, I don't know why this is, but for a time we just seemed to be working with a lot of uh, reality TV show wow. uh, individuals. And uh, there was there was one gal in particular where I had to break to her, depending on your how you're looking at this, the good news, the bad news. I don't know. I'm not going to touch this with a ten foot pole. But she was on one of these shows, and she was she was working with us, dieting down to be on a. Um, she was on one of the the like the Master Chef cooking shows. Oh wow! And she was so excited for it, and but she and she wanted to just get in really great shape. And there was this threshold where we're working with her, and I knew what she was eating. I knew what she was doing, and. Something simply was not adding up. I'm like, okay, I know how you sh what should be happening here. And uh, sure enough, she thought she was going on a reality TV show, but instead she was having a baby. <laughs> oh, man. <Wow. laughs> you know, there's always things to look at. Yeah. We had, uh, we've had folks that, you know, some of the most demanding schedules are weight class specific sports. Hmm. You know, a lot of times hmm. we don't think of that. That's a night running is not weight class specific. Right. That's fantastic. <laughs> Imagine if you had to, okay, get on the starting line. Oh, we're also going to weigh you. And if you're over <laughs> underweight, you get put in a different category. Yeah. That's the sport of powerlifting, hmm. you know? So, um, and a lot of other sports are along that. So not only do we have to factor in an athlete's performance and peak performance based on their nutrition, but we have to sometimes have them to the ounce hitting their weight. Wow. So a lot of, a lot of interesting things over the years we've got to explore. All right. Well, thank you, Rebecca, for the question. And thanks, Angelo. If you want to check out MetPro, talk to your nutrition coach. There's a, a free consultation call available. Go to uh, metpro.co forward slash MTA, metpro.co forward slash MTA. And if you decide to join up and work with one of their nutritionists, just tell them we sent you. You'll get $500 off metpro.co forward slash MTA. 
Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed the race recap. If you want to check out photos and read the full race recap, head over to our site, marathontrainingacademy.com. And if there's anything you'd like to ask us or anything we can help you with, please be sure to reach out. We have a contact form on our website. You guys are awesome. Always remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Run on my way.